Just a quick heads up that I am currently on maternity leave, which means that the Fertility Co podcast is taking a break. But please don't panic because I'm already working on some exciting things behind the scenes. And when I come back, I'm really looking forward to sharing with you a brand new, completely free mini course all about ovulation and finding your fertile window. In the meantime, there are still heaps of ways that you can continue to learn about your fertility and your menstrual cycle while I take a break. If you're just getting started with charting your cycle, you can check out my free fertility roadmap. If you want to dive deeper and learn exactly when you're ovulating, then you can watch my Fix Your Fertility Masterclass. There is, of course, also my Conceive with Confidence workshop series and, of course, my flagship online program, Fertility School. If you want individualized support from a trained fertility educator, that's me, then you can book in to my wait list for a one-on-one consult. And I would love to work with you to achieve your fertility goals in 2024. Spots are strictly limited though, and links to all of those resources are in the show notes. I'm Rachel and I'm obsessed with all things periods, pregnancy, pelvic floor and helping women just like you to navigate all of life's major milestones. I'm a physiotherapist and natural fertility educator and my passion is teaching women how to take control of their health. Fertility, pregnancy, nutrition and menstrual cycle health will dive deep into all of it right here. All those questions you've been secretly Googling, all those things you're too embarrassed to ask your doctor because, well, we're women. Shouldn't we just know this stuff? So get comfy and get ready to finally have all of your questions answered. Hit subscribe now and let me teach you what they never taught us in health class. Hello, hello. I hope you're well. I'm doing something a little bit different this week on the podcast, and I want to talk specifically to the women who have already had a baby and are potentially thinking about preparing for baby number two, number three, and beyond. So, I'm talking about preparation and preconception preparation when it's not your first pregnancy and how it is so different second time round, third time round. And even if you haven't yet had a baby, I want you to listen in on this one because it is something that is not being talked about enough. And I think it is definitely a contributing factor to so many women who struggle to conceive second time around and beyond and are often given that diagnosis of secondary infertility. So let's dive in. Preparing for a subsequent pregnancy is a whole different ball game compared to first time around. So There will be days where you wonder why on earth you want to add another little bundle of joy to your family. How will you ever manage another one? Are you ready? Are they ready for a little brother or sister? How can you possibly spread the love between more than one? I know I swing from yes, absolutely to no way a few times a day, but ultimately preparing for baby number two, three and beyond certainly seems to involve a lot more mental gymnastics than the first time round, but the physical preparation should be the same, but unfortunately it's often not. It doesn't matter whether your first child is one or five or 12, being a parent means you can no longer always put yourself first, which means that your health and by extension your fertility can take a real hit. 
And while I understand this is a generalization, many couples who are planning ahead for baby number two and beyond still will have a reasonably young child. So in this episode, I'm particularly talking to those women who might have a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and they're preparing to get pregnant again. And now that I'm on the other side of pregnancy and mum to a one-year-old myself, when I'm ready to try again for baby number two, I already recognize that my preconception journey isn't going to look as idyllic as it did first time around. I speak with so many women who have already experienced pregnancy and had no trouble conceiving first go, and they're concerned about secondary infertility because things are looking different when trying for baby number two. Secondary infertility is a whole other episode in itself. I promise it is coming, but addressing some of the things that I'll be discussing in this episode may assist you if you've been given that diagnosis. And I will say, if you've listened to episode 47, why I never use the word infertility about my thoughts on the use of the word, um, I strongly believe that barring some exceptional circumstances, if you can conceive naturally once, then you can conceive again. But there are absolutely factors that may make it a little more difficult second or third time around, whatever time you're up to. And that's ultimately because you are already caring for a tiny human and that in itself is a full-time job on top of everything else that you've got going on. And this is something that you obviously didn't have to take into account when preparing for your first pregnancy. So let me dive into the specifics here so that you understand more clearly what I'm talking about. The first key reason is that your cycles are not the same after having a baby. So whether you choose to breastfeed, pump and bottle feed, or use formula straight away, your menstrual cycle will still be impacted after giving birth, and you cannot possibly expect it to return to your version of normal straight away when you consider everything that your body has gone through over the past nine months. It is completely normal to experience bleeding called lochia for several weeks after giving birth, and It contains mucus, blood, uterine tissue, and this is how the body and the uterus recovers after giving birth. And you will experience this bleeding even if you have had a C-section. So now let's talk about breastfeeding and lactation and how this impacts the return of your fertility. So after this initial postpartum bleeding, Lockyer, milk production and lactation will have a huge influence on the return of your fertility. So milk supply is a supply and demand process. And so if you do not breastfeed or lactate, then your milk supply will reduce quite quickly. And you may experience ovulation and menstruation again within a couple of weeks after giving birth. Milk production, called lactogenesis, is controlled by hormones and the endocrine system. So as baby stimulates the nerve endings of your nipple, the hormone prolactin will trigger milk production and the hormone oxytocin will cause that letdown milk ejection reflex. Cells around the alveoli of the nipple will contract and squeeze milk out through the ducts of the nipple. So after giving birth, the sudden drop in progesterone that occurs when the placenta is delivered will allow that hormone prolactin to start stimulating milk production. And this can occur, you know, 30 to 40 hours, the first couple of days after giving birth. And in this time, milk is produced in copious amounts. For the first three to five days, we have colostrum that is produced. And this is this yellow colored high protein milk that provides immune protection, nutrients, and developmental support for babies. So this is what is called liquid gold. Mature breast milk, also called transitional milk, may not be produced until up to two to three weeks after giving birth. And that's when we call your milk coming in. And the composition of this breast milk doesn't really change much throughout lactation until milk production is reduced or seized, but its composition will change in response to feeding. 
So milk supply generally takes around six to 12 weeks to be fully established. And milk production, like I said, works as a supply and demand process. So production will continue indefinitely for as long as milk removal continues. Nipple stimulation from suckling by baby will regulate that milk production according to baby's needs. So suckling will also initiate those hormonal changes that support lactation and ultimately suppress the function of the ovaries. And that's a biological mechanism to prevent future pregnancies until lactation is complete. It's your body saying, I'm not going to worry about getting pregnant again and looking after another baby when I'm still feeding this baby. And this is why so many women don't menstruate until they completely stop breastfeeding. So this absence in your period and ovulation while breastfeeding is called lactational amenorrhea. It is thought that after a period of time, milk production will stop being driven by hormones and it will just become that supply and demand process. And this is why some women will ovulate and have menstrual cycles return, even though they are still breastfeeding. It is highly variable among women. So this is thought, this transition from hormonal driven to supply and demand, it's thought to be at around six months. And that's why the first six months of breastfeeding is considered to be pretty safe in terms of natural birth control as long as you're feeding on demand and following a few other rules as well. But it's not a given long term because we know that you can ovulate while breastfeeding, which means pregnancy is possible. So when your fertility will return after having a baby is very variable, and that's even for the group of women who do choose to breastfeed long term. Some women might see a return in their period once solids are introduced around that six-month mark and breastfeeding frequency starts to reduce. Others will notice that when they change their feeding routine, so they might start pumping more frequently rather than feeding on demand. And for others, they might need to wean completely before they see a return of their periods. Ultimately, you don't know how your body will react, and it might even vary between pregnancies. So breastfeeding is definitely a factor to consider if you are preparing for baby number two, and your cycle still feels like it hasn't returned to your version of normal. Maybe you're seeing a lot more attempts at ovulation rather than a straight up ovulation than menstruation, or you're just not seeing any sign of menstruation at all. With that said, though, some women are able to breastfeed throughout a pregnancy so they can ultimately feed a toddler and a newborn at the same time, which I think is truly incredible. So as you can see, it is very, very variable. So breastfeeding lactation will have a huge effect on your cycle. And obviously you need to factor that in when you're ready to prepare for baby number two and beyond. So we've talked so far about the physiological and the hormonal reasons as to why your fertility might be different after having a baby, which in turn would impact your ability to conceive. So now I want to talk about other factors that can make it more difficult to conceive next time round. And this all ties in with postnatal depletion. And this applies to anyone who is a mother of a child of pretty much any age. For anyone who has been through it, pregnancy is obviously hard. It is an enormous physical, mental, and emotional strain. And as we transition from pregnancy to motherhood through labor and birth, this in itself is exhausting. And we don't really get time to recover from it properly before we're thrown into caring for a newborn that needs us literally 24-7. Throw in those increased nutritional demands of breastfeeding and lactation and recovering from a major event like labor and birth, it is absolutely no surprise that those first few months and years leave us feeling like we have absolutely nothing left in the tank. 
So during pregnancy, baby has been taking everything that it needs from us, all of our essential nutrients. And this is why preconception preparation and being in the best possible state of health first time round is so important. So it's not just for getting pregnant, it's for getting us through the pregnancy, feeling energetic and healthy and thriving. And most importantly, it's for helping us to get through those first months and years in the postpartum period, where we are incredibly sleep deprived and at the beck and of those tiny squishy bubs at all hours. This lifestyle, this new life that we have as parents inevitably leads to deficiencies in nutrients that we need to help us to recover and to get through this time. And this is what's known as postnatal depletion. And it's that combination of the physical, the emotional, the mental, and the hormonal depletion that mums experience in this postpartum period. And it leaves them feeling exhausted. And more than just fatigue, symptoms are what we commonly refer to as mum brain. So brain fog, low energy, as well as that constant self-doubt, frustration, overwhelm, stress. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about if you're living it like I am. So Dr. Oscar Serilak in his book, The Postnatal Depletion Cure, believes that over 50% of mothers will suffer from some degree of postnatal depletion. And he suspects that it's our busy lifestyles and our desire and the pressure to do it all. And the increasing age of motherhood means that women are taking longer to recover from pregnancy and birth. And we're not receiving the support that other cultures might traditionally receive around the world. We know that. We hear the expression, it takes a village. And we're looking around wondering where our village is because we don't have one. Dr. Oscar Serilak also believes that we can still be in postpartum depletion up to 10 years after giving birth. But for some incredible reason, even though it is all insanely hard, there is something that has us going back and doing it all over again. So regardless of whether you have started trying and you're struggling and you're concerned that you might be experiencing secondary infertility, whether the idea of having a brand new baby is bringing back those clucky feelings, or if you're ready to start chapter two of that preconception journey, here are some things that I want you to keep in mind. And they are what I consider to be those four pillars of fertility, nutrition, exercise and movement, sleep, and stress management. And finally enough, they are all pretty heavily impacted when we already have a little one to chase around. So this is where we need to start on any preconception journey, whether you have a baby already or not. So it is so incredibly important to think about these things when you are already in the trenches of motherhood, though, because you can quite easily forget to eat multiple meals in a row. It sounds ridiculous, but it is so easily done. My trap is water. I can go a day without drinking a glass of water, and I'm the kind of person who has an emotional support water bottle with me at all times. So that's a little frightening. Many women will get away with a lot more first time round and they'll still manage to conceive with not much trouble. But when we are potentially battling more irregular menstrual cycles to begin with, and we are not in our highest state of health, conceiving might be more difficult another time around. Pregnancy might be more difficult this time around too. And recovery from that second pregnancy and birth can increase your chances of getting that postnatal depletion. So let's have a look more closely at each of these four pillars of fertility and what you can do to get yourself in the best possible position for conceiving next time around. Let's begin with nutrition. So it is essential that we are getting all of the nutrients that we need to rebalance our hormones, regulate our menstrual cycles, and optimize ovulation to keep us feeling good and to stave off postnatal depletion, and obviously to help us to conceive again too. 
We know that nutrition is essential for physical and mental health and for our immunity too. During the postnatal period to combat that depletion of nutrients and to ensure that we're getting what we need to maintain our health and to support the return of our fertility, we need to focus on getting enough iron. We lose iron stores through blood loss during pregnancy and birth, and with breastfeeding. And we get this through red meat, liver, as well as through leafy green vegetables. Next nutrient that we need to think about is vitamin B12. And this is for red blood cell production, again, to combat that blood loss, as well as for DNA production and for energy. DHA, an omega-3 fatty acid for helping with mum brain, reducing brain fog, as well as reducing inflammation and the risk of postpartum depression. And then we have choline, which is just as essential as folate, but often not talked about as much. Finally, vitamin D for immunity, also at risk when we are so tired and depleted for supporting our brain and nervous system and preventing depression and anxiety. We can get vitamin D through the sunshine, as well as from fatty fish, liver and eggs. So this is why it is really highly recommended to continue taking a high quality prenatal supplement in that postpartum period, especially if you're breastfeeding. Speak with a naturopath or a nutritionist or a medical practitioner that can support you to identify where you are deficient and to get access to a high quality supplement that you can use in addition to a wholesome nourishing diet to give your body what it might be lacking. This is where preconception blood tests and screening are so important. Next is exercise and movement. And I want to be careful with this one because there is so much pressure to bounce back after having a baby. And I know from experience that fitting in any kind of physical activity and movement is incredibly difficult. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. I do also recognize, though, that this can be a huge stress relief and a really enjoyable activity for many women. So I'm not going to say don't do it. So let's replace the word exercise with movement because it's about moving your body, not necessarily about losing weight and getting back to a pre-baby body. That's not what I'm talking about here. If you are overdoing exercise when you are already in a depleted state, then this physical stress will further impact your fertility and your cycle, just like it would at any other time of your life. Throw in the increased energy requirements of breastfeeding, lactation, and literally producing the milk that is feeding your child, and you likely don't actually need to do as much movement and exercise as you think when you factor in the calories and things that are being burnt just by living your life as a new mum. Walking with a pram is the very best form of movement that I can recommend. So it gets you out of the house, which I know is challenging in itself, but it gets you that vitamin D. It boosts your mood and you get that added benefit of movement without that intense physical exertion. So yes, we do need movement. We need to move our body, but we do not need to exercise like we may have done pre-baby. Yoga and stretching is fantastic for those sore, tired muscles. When you're holding baby constantly, you're feeding in weird, awkward, 
good postures and it's movement, but it's also relaxation. And that's what's really important. The next one on the list is sleep. And I laugh to even mention it because I have never known sleep deprivation like I know it now as a mother. I remember those early newborn days where I would wake up in a panic searching the bed sheets for baby because I thought I'd fallen asleep feeding. I'd wake up and not know if I was in the feeding chair or in bed. And every time I went to have a nap, I would fall asleep instantly and deeply. And these are quite possibly the greatest naps I have ever had in my life. Fast forward, I now have a 15-month-old and I'm still sleep-deprived. We bed share, and while this wasn't ever the plan initially, getting up and walking down the hallway every couple of hours to settle a baby that is a terrible sleeper is not sustainable, and bed sharing was the way to get the best quality sleep for me. We all know the saying, sleep when baby sleeps, but it is so much easier said than done. When the house is a mess, you need a shower, something to eat, and you don't want to spend those few hours of precious alone time sleeping. This took me far too long to really appreciate, and admittedly, I now mostly use nap time to work, but closing your eyes and resting during nap time, even if baby is asleep next to you, it can really help you to make it through the afternoon and into the night, because you often don't get that lovely, restful sleep at night that you so need when you've had a busy, tiring day. So while this is incredibly difficult, if you have a baby who won't take a bottle or is breastfeeding exclusively, splitting the nights between you and your partner can help you to get a few more hours of uninterrupted sleep. So this is a strategy to consider when your child is a little bit older, but is still needing some love and support overnight. I know this is easier said than done because this is something we've really struggled with in our house, but getting a few hours of sleep when you're not having to listen out for a crying baby makes all the difference. I'm not going to say any more about sleep because I know it is such a sensitive topic for a lot of mums. It's still a touchy subject for me, but huge shout out to Fiona from Mama Matters who has the best approach to sleep that I have experienced. And I have encountered some dodgy information on my many searches and falls down the Google, Google rabbit hole when it comes to sleep. So I cannot recommend Fiona and her work enough. Finally, Let's talk about stress management. So it sounds ridiculous even saying it out loud. I do appreciate that, that we worry about a messy house in the postpartum period. Anyone who comes to visit expects a messy house because you have little kids and yet more time spent at home means you want to be spending it in a clean environment. When I was pregnant, I read the book, The First 40 Days, about that beautiful period of rest during what is often called the first, the fourth trimester. And I loved the idea of a mother being able to recover from birth and transition into motherhood with the support of her family. Unfortunately, this is not the reality for many of us. I know I did not spend nearly enough time lying in bed, recovering and cuddling my new baby. And it's really common that new mums feel really overwhelmed and unsupported. So managing stress is really essential for your mental health in this time, but also for hormone balance, for optimal ovulation, and for that overall health at really any stage of life. But the effects can be more significant if you're already dealing with all of these other factors on top of a cycle that is trying to normalize and recover. I've talked about managing stress a lot on this podcast, and we do a really deep dive into some specific ways to manage it in episode five way back then, but all of them are still applicable now and in that postnatal period. 
It's saying no to visitors when you need a rest. It's saying no to leaving the house when it all feels too hard. It's letting the washing build up for a week because you just need a break from it because there is a lot of poo and wee and vomit in those early early weeks. It's getting in a cleaner to help some of that burden. So this is something that I have promised myself when we move house in a couple of months. So I refuse to let our brand new house that we've been building for well over a year now to get messy and grubby because we don't have the time to clean it properly because I already know that this is something that I'm going to feel stressed about. It feels excessive. It feels like a luxury. My husband rolls his, rolls his eyes when I tell him that this is what we're going to do, but it is something that I truly see the value in. Finally, support. Feeling supported is a huge one by your partner, by extended family and friends, even staying in touch with those who were in your mother's group long after those more formalized sessions are over. These are still people in your local community going through the exact same thing as you. So lean on them, share your experiences, have a whinge. We cannot possibly do this all by ourselves. I don't often talk about motherhood and postpartum life on this podcast because I know most of you listening aren't quite there yet, but I'm hearing more and more from women who are already mothers who have found me because they're struggling to conceive second time around after having no issues the first time around. And it's my reality as well. I've shared a lot about my wonky postpartum cycles, both thanks to breastfeeding and to a certain virus that has definitely impacted my cycle. And I'm working really hard to regulate things at the moment, and I'm starting to think about how to make time for that preconception preparation and really start prioritizing my health and my fertility now that my cycles are back and they're not as simple as they were pre-pregnancy. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Like I said, it was a little bit different. It was a little bit of the other end of the spectrum this time, but here's a little recap of what we talked about. So we talked about why your cycles are not the same after having a baby and the effect of breastfeeding and lactation on the return of your fertility. We talked a lot about postnatal depletion, how common it is, why it happens, and how to use those four pillars of fertility to prepare yourself for a subsequent pregnancy. So really looking at nutrition, exercise, and movement, sleep and stress management. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can get today's show notes with everything I talked about, as well as links to freebies and other related episodes at fertilitycode.com.au forward slash 54. Bye for now. And don't forget that knowledge is power. When you truly understand your body, you are empowered to make informed decisions and take control of your health. Until next time. If you've made it this far, you deserve a huge virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Fertility Co. podcast. New episodes are released every Wednesday, so make sure you hit subscribe now so you don't miss when the latest goes live. Why not make my day and leave me a quick rating and review while you're over there? If you want more, head on over to Instagram at Fertility Co., slide on into my DMs and say hello, or you can visit fertilityco.com.au forward slash podcast for show notes and access to all of the freebies that I talked about in this episode. Until next time. Let's talk about TempDrop. TempDrop's wearable sensor and accompanying charting app brings the full fertility tracking solution right to your phone, where the TempDrop sensor on your upper arm during sleep and then just sync to the charting app whenever it's convenient for you.
Tempdrop believes that every woman should be empowered and equipped with the knowledge to take control of their body. Sound familiar? That's where Tempdrop steps in to provide clear science-backed technology to help you to better track your cycle. I only recommend products that I use and love, and I love my Tempdrop tracker. You can get 10% off your tracker with the code AFFertilityCo or head to fertilityco.com.au forward slash Tempdrop for more information.